I thought I understood what this chapter was about, but now that we've heard it, I don't ever want to read it again, and I don't understand it either. So let me tell you, how would you confront someone that you had invested so much time in, and then they went and did the exact opposite thing that you told them? And not only did they do it, but they boasted about it. And so what we're catching here is we're catching a little bit of Paul's humanity and how he writes to the Corinthians. But not only catching that, we're catching him addressing several things, and this is kind of a culmination of, listen, I've just got to kind of let you have it with both barrels for just a minute. So the Corinthian church is not only boasting about spiritual things not grounded in the word, that that goes on a little bit to, to chapter 12 and chapter 13, they're boasting about the gifts of the Spirit but not really about the grace or the love of the Spirit or the truth of the Spirit. They were then also boasting about their great spiritual nature and lives while they had this open sin that was going on, the most egregious being that was a man that was sleeping with his father's wife and they weren't even confronting it. And then finally, they were engaging in sectarian denominationalism before even any of that happened. If you want to know how we got to the place where we have Methodists, Presbyterians, Lutherans, Episcopalians, Assemblies of God, Pentecostals, all that kind of stuff, it started 2,000 years ago. So this idea that somehow we could go back, if we could just, if I heard this one time in college, I heard it 50,000 times, if we could just get back to the New Testament church, and I'm like, have you read the Bible? Like, have you read any of these churches? Right here at the very beginning, if you go back just into the last three verses in chapter 3, Paul is saying to them, have you heard you guys? Some of you are like, I follow Peter. Some of you are like, I follow Paul. Some of you are like, I follow Apollos. And he says, but all of us are following Christ. And why would you boast about anything that's been a gift of grace that's been given to you that you didn't earn? And so... You're getting this very parental response. And some of it, as you and I as parents, we know that when we respond to our children, we know what Dr. Phil would do, and then there's what we would do. And doctor, we always set Dr. Phil up, and he has the right thing to say, and he, you know, it always ends up with something like, well, how's that working out for you? But whenever we say it, it always is kind of like, well, how's that working out for you? And it's kind of mean. Well, Paul shows his humanity as he's writing this rebuke. So as we start, let's look at verses 1 through 4. And what I want to do, actually, is kind of give you a few places to, apt to apply so that Amy can jump in. Because really, the verses that I think are the most, that are the key verses in this text, are really verses 16 and verse 20. So I'm going to skim over a lot just for, for the sake of time. But as Paul, remember, he said, he said who is Paul, who is Paulus, Apollos, who is Peter, in the last part of chapter 3? The other part that comes up with is in the very beginning of the chapter, he sets the tone of who he is and who he expects the church at Corinth to understand that he is. And as he says, who are Paul and Apollos? We are nothing but servants. But actually, the word that he uses right there when he's describing himself is the the same word that the servant would be used for those who were on a ship below deck operating the oars, not even seeing the light of day. And so he's saying, we're not just the servants that are out, we're the servants that are down below. We do not deserve honor, we do not deserve glory. That is who we are because it is not about us. It is about Christ. It is about Jesus. It is about who he is and what he's done. And Paul says here in these verses 1 through 4, I have tried my best to be faithful to God. I've tried my best to be a witness for him. You don't follow leaders, you follow Christ. I imitate Christ, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And that's what we get to in verse, verse 16. 
Verse 5, again, is this idea that he's coming against the people that are saying, hey, listen, we follow Peter, and he does it the right way. We follow Apollos, and he does it the right way. Well, we follow Paul, and he does it the right way. And then some of the people were like, well, he's stupid, and he does this. And so Paul says right here in verse 5, he says, listen, why are you judging me? He says, it's, he says I know that I'm going to be judged, but you all are judging me at the wrong time. You all are judging me at the wrong time. Why don't you wait and see? We're going to wait and see what God is going to do and how God is going to use me. And I know that I will be under under God's judgment for how I led. And that is what Paul obviously tells Timothy later on. Every pastor, every elder, we are going to be judged by how we led, by how we served. Then verses 6 through 7 come to the place where he gets to the point where it's the central complaint. It's the central complaint that he has to get them. And he says, listen... You are judging your leaders, that's Peter, Paul, Apollos. He says, you're judging your leaders by your own standards, not God's. You're judging me, you're judging Peter, you're judging Apollos. You're not even judging each other, but you're judging by your standards, not by God's standards. And you are judging with wrong motives. How can you brag on anything that you have when you had nothing and everything was given to you by grace? And that is the place where we have to stop right here on this text and come, come to the place where we as a church also come to this and say, we can't brag or boast on anything when everything was given to us by grace. That includes our pastor. I mean, sometimes when people say, well, you know, what's going on at Corinth, whatever, and I always say just, it's, you know, Bob is just so great. He's loved us. He's just so, you know, all and, da, 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 da. and I could brag on him. But at the end of the day, who sent Bob to this church? God. So who should I be bragging on? The Lord. And so that's what he's saying as well. Then verses 8 through 9 show you Paul's humanity. So verses 8 through 9, there's a part of the Bible. How many of you guys are just, your second language is sarcasm? Man, I, t- I had to just curtail it for a while, you know, especially when you're in youth ministry because you come, become so sarcastic, and then you realize that somebody comes and has, wants to have a serious conversation with you, and they go, are you being sarcastic, or is that how you really feel? And so I just, I was like, listen, I am way too sarcastic. Paul is being sarcastic in verses 8 and 9 right here. He said, oh, you are, you are so this. Well, I'm so, when you're so this, and I'm just so little. I'm being sarcasm. I'm just showing you this sarcasm. And the reason he's doing it is because people are, people are having these complaints. Well, you're just in the ministry so that you can become famous. You're just in the ministry so that you become wealthy. You're just in the ministry so, so you can have this influence over people. And Paul says, really? Have you seen how it's turned out? I'm in jail. I get beaten. I go hungry. Sounds like a great idea, right? And so he's completely being sarcastic to them. And then verses 10 through 13, Paul goes on and he continues with this frame of mind, continues to build on the sarcasm in verses 10 through 13. And he says, listen, the world considers what we do to be foolish. And he's going back to the same language that he used in chapter 1 about the foolishness of the cross compared to what the world thinks is the things that should be lifted up. And he says, why would we choose these foolish things to make ourselves wealthy, to make ourselves famous, to make ourselves influential? Why would we do that? I'm, I'm being sarcastic with you. And so in verses 14 through 15, he then, you, you as parents, you know this. You kind of got to get it out. You got to look, what are you doing? You know, I don't know about you guys, but when your kid is standing in the middle of the street trying to pick up a quarter in its rush hour, you don't say to them, hey, can you come here in Jesus' name? 
What do you say? Get the heck out of the street right now! Do you apologize for that? No! Death is on the line! Then when they come back over to the curb, you yell a little more, and then you become compassionate. I don't want you to die. I want you to live. And that same thing happens right here in verse 14. All of a sudden, Paul switches back. He says, I've got your attention. I had to get it off my chest. Let's be tender again. And so verses 15, 14 and 15 come back to this fatherly tenderness. And so Paul says in these verses, I'm not taking any credit for your salvation. I know that it is through Christ and through grace alone that you were saved. But I have a relationship with you because of the relationship that we share with Christ. I'm your spiritual father. Listen to me. I'm discipling you. And so this other part, when we get to verse 16, this is the 16 and 17 are these two key verses. And that's kind of where Amy and I are both going to be in our sermons. But verse 16, he says, listen, imitate me. Imitate me. And the underscore is as I imitate Christ. The actual word is mimic. The actual word that is being used is mimic. Mimic me as I mimic Christ. Christ. And that's what a leader in the church is absolutely supposed to do. You're not supposed to elevate that leader over Christ. You're not supposed to follow that leader unquestioningly. You're not supposed to think that everything that that leader does is the gospel. You simply think, hopefully this leader is imitating Christ and he is living out as an example for me to follow. Then I think when we get to verse 17, I just think two words, poor Timothy. I mean, he, he's just blasted the Corinthian church. You're doing this wrong. I can't believe you're doing this. Why are you doing this? I'm going to be sarcastic with you. And he says, I'm going to send Timothy to you. And I could just imagine Timothy reading over his shoulder going, oh, man, I wanted to go to Philippi. They could have sent me to Corinth. But why is he sending Timothy? He's sending Timothy and he says, I'm sending someone who is going to be a living representation to you of Christ's likeness and doctrine. Isn't that what Paul is telling Timothy later on in this verse? Don't let anyone look down upon you because you're young, but instead be an example to those. That's what this is the same thing you see right here. I'm sending Timothy to you to be a living example of the gospel and of good doctrine. And then we get to verses 18 and 19. And man, verses 18 and 19 are he goes back to the woodshed. And there are these people that have been bragging about that. Paul ain't going to come back. Paul is not going to come back. Paul's going to do anything. We're following Apollos. And when Paul comes back, on to be like, your ways are out, Paul. We're following Apollos. Or, Paul, your ways are done. We're following Peter. We're doing what he does. And Paul said, oh, you don't think I'm coming back? We know that he didn't get to, but he says, we'll see. Dads, you've done this before. Moms, you've done this before, right? Your kids on there, you know, they're doing whatever. And they said, and they said, hey, clean your room. And they look up and they go, Ugh. and then you say, I'm coming back in 10 minutes. If this room isn't clean, I'm going to come back in a different way. You know, and some of you moms, you have the witch hat in the closet and you're about to put it on. It's the same thing he's saying. He says, you can determine how I come back. Will I come back in grace or am I going to come back in wrath? And then he tells why. He says, listen. Because this life that we're doing, this is verse 20, this life that we live, it's not about, not about fancy talk. This life that we've been called to live, this kingdom God-filled life is a life that begins with speech and that has got to be coupled with and accompanied by deeds, kingdom deeds. And then finally in verse 21, he says, listen, and it's up to you. How will I come? How will I meet you? And so verse 20 and verse 16, Verse 20, the kingdom life is a life that is accompanied with kingdom powerful deeds and 
We are to be imitators of Christ. Verse 16. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to tell on Paul. He walked out the door and he goes, ah, not much time. Good luck. Yeah. Um, don't worry. I, the manuscript I have in front of me is 17 pages, and I feel like we can get through that in half an hour or so. No, just kidding. We're going to throw out the whole manuscript, and I'm going to preach the sermon I intend to preach at 11 o'clock in reverse and in a quarter of the time, or possibly less. Um, so as Paul and I were looking at this passage this week, there, the problem, which is also a blessing, but it's a problem with um, 1 Corinthians 4, is there are some passages in the Bible that we look at and go, yikes, what are we going to say about that? And this is not one of those passages. This is one where we look at and go, well, there are a hundred different ways you can go with this. How are we going to funnel this down into what it actually means to us and how it's not an overwhelming amount of stuff? And so um, Paul was really grabbed most by verse 20, which is talking about the kingdom of God being uh, one of power and not of words. And the one that grabbed me more was the idea of um, verse 16, imitation and imitate me. So the more I reflected on this, the more I realized that we are a people who are created to be imitators. So this starts all the way um, back in Genesis 1, where it says that we're created in the image of God. So by our very nature, we have been created as an imitation of something. Certainly, we're not God, but we're designed to be a little bit like God. Um, and if you've ever picked up a baby and like made faces or silly noises or tried to dance in front of a baby, you know that babies learn really early on, if they're healthy babies who are developmentally appropriate, that they should make those faces back at you. Right, and you're like everybody can get a baby to stick their tongue out at them, and they can get them to coo and to dance, um, and so this is what we see all through our lives. And there are um, a lot of great examples of this. I was thinking back through my week and realizing most everything I've done, I've learned to do uh, by watching and by imitating. So that ranges from cooking, where I learned how to cut an onion by watching my mom cut onions, and I learned how to. Um, I was making a baby gift. Kevin, cover your ears. It's for your baby. Uh, but I was making a baby gift, and I was crocheting it, and I learned to crochet. By by watching my mom and seeing how her hands moved and um, things like repairs around the house. I learned that by watching how my dad takes apart the back of a toilet and that's how I learned to fix things in the house. And, and this is just how we learn to do everything um, individually and corporately we learn the same thing. So earlier this week I was um, teaching our confirmation class about the church year and the church year is set up as a series of imitations um, and ways that we relive things. So Every Advent, we talk about anticipation of Christ, and every Christmas, we celebrate the birth of Christ, and we go uh, through the life and the teachings of Christ, and then we go to a time of repentance and preparation in Lent, and then we have Easter, which is our great celebration of Christ's resurrection, and every year, we're imitating these same patterns, and it's not because we lack the ability to come up with something more clever, it's because there is a lot of value in imitating things. So, as I look at... Um, this passage in 1 Corinthians 4, I see that Paul is not um, calling to question, are you going to imitate somebody? That, that is a foregone conclusion. We will be imitating somebody. Um, there was some really good research that came out a couple years ago that said the average American sees something like 3,000 advertisements a day or is exposed to 3,000 advertisements. It could be visual, it could be auditory. Um, but that means in the average week, you're hearing over 20,000 messages about what should matter to you and who you should be and what your goals in life should be. And what Paul is, is saying in a really indirect way, but I think if you were talking to the church in the 21st century in America, he would basically be saying, you know, the question isn't, are you going to imitate something? It's what are you going to choose to imitate? because this is one of those situations where um, not making a choice is by default making a choice. You're either going to choose to follow a good example, or by default you will hear 20,000 messages from the world every week of what your life should be about. So this is gonna be the 
fastest summary ever. But when I look at 1 Corinthians 4, I see that Paul pulls out basically five things to look for when deciding who to imitate. And the first one is in verses one through five. And Paul is saying you should imitate somebody who is going to be a faithful servant. So this is where he talks about something that's really um, similar to what Jesus talks about in Matthew 24. Somebody check me on that and email me later if I'm wrong. But the parable of the talents, right, where um, the master goes away and leaves his people in charge of things, and, and, and Jesus and now Paul are talking about, you know, what do you do with the things that you've been entrusted with? And Paul's point is that um, God has been faithful. Paul is an example of what it looks like to live in a faithful way. And in turn, you should be looking for um, models to follow who are faithful in what they do. In six through seven, he's talking about being a good steward of gifts and saying you should imitate somebody who's going to be a good steward of their gifts. Um, Pastor Paul talked about this a lot, that you know, if you didn't create the good gifts in yourself, there's no reason that you should brag about them, but you should use them well. Um, I see that as kind of similar to like bragging about how tall you are or like how awesome your parents are or something like that. Like those might be good things. Maybe you are six foot seven and you can reach every cabinet in the kitchen, but you didn't make yourself that height, so you don't get to brag about it. Um, in the same way, he's saying, you know, look for people who are um, not all about themselves, but who are all about pointing back to God and saying, this is a gift of God that I get to use. Um, if you were here last week, and if you weren't, we have recordings and manuscripts online. You can go back and check those out. Uh, we talked a lot about being foolish for Christ and the difference between worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. And Paul is saying in verses 8 through 13 that if you're going to imitate somebody, you should choose to imitate someone who is a fool for Christ. Not meaning they're just full of nonsense, but that they're willing to turn the normal order of things upside down and that they're willing to uh, put godly priorities over earthly priorities, which often makes us look really, really foolish. Um, you know, Jared was a, was a great example that it might look foolish to go to London and try to talk to people on the street about the gospel, but um, that's following the call of God. And so, you know, you follow somebody who is willing to not necessarily be the person people look at and go, oh, wow, they're so smart, they're so cool, they're so um, whatever. Um, Paul also talked a lot about uh, verses 14 through 17, which is where I think Paul is telling us to imitate somebody who is like a parent. Um, we talked a lot about uh, earlier this week about the image of cleaning a room, and, and the thing that, um, that I used to hear from my parents was, you know, like, you clean your room or we will come and clean it for you. Um, and that was going to be a really bad day because that meant they would come in with a trash bag and that would be the end of everything. Um, so Paul is in this way kind of saying there are people who um, are, there's that weird phrase in uh, verse 16, I think it is, no, 15, um, that, that you may have 10,000 guardians. A guardian's a little like um, a nanny or a babysitter in today's world. So the guardian is going to be the one who keeps the rules and enforces the rules, but they're not the one who makes the rules. Um, so if you have a babysitter or a nanny, you know, they might enforce rules because that's their job to enforce the rules. When you have a parent, you're looking at somebody um, who is more shaping and directing where the child is going. Um, and so you're supposed to look at somebody who is going to interact with you as a parent, not as a disciplinarian or as um, a babysitter or a nanny will. So um, whoever you imitate should be um, somebody of relationship. And finally, in 18 through 21, he says you should imitate someone who relies on the power of God. And this is set over against um, our own power or our own um, skills and our own abilities. Um, so this goes on for a, a long time. It's a long chapter. But um, the takeaway that I see um, is that if you haven't made conscious decisions about who you're going to imitate, 
now's a good time to do that. Um, who is in your life who is being a faithful servant? Who is in your life who is being a good steward of what God has given them? Who uh, in your life is willing to interact with you in a loving, familial way? And who um, is going to rely on the power of God rather than being a model of relying on themselves? Um, now, just in, in a very brief moment, I know there is a strong cultural pushback against this. We are um, about 500 years into the Protestant uh, Reformation, I guess we can still call it the Protestant Reformation, we're still reforming. Um, but one of the tenets of Protestantism is that there is the priesthood of all believers and we don't need people to connect us to God, which is one of the things that the Protestants were uh, fighting about 500 years ago. And to that I would say, absolutely 100% true, you do not need me, you do not need a mediator to get to God, but a good role model would certainly not hurt any one of us. Um, there are people that God has given us and placed in our paths who can be good models for us, not because we need them to be able to get to God, but because they might be able to push us to be a little more like Christ. Um, so in that way, if that is something that um, you want to get connected with somebody who would be a good model for you, we have mentoring programs, we have small groups. Um, fall is a really good time to get connected. Um, and I would love to help you find ways that you can get connected to people who might be good role models. Two words of caution on that. The first, nobody that I can connect you with is perfect up to and including myself. Um, you have got a lot of very flawed people in the world and every person you find will probably have some good ways that they can point you to Christ and some ways that they will let you down. If you've been through the pastor's class in the last decade or so, you've heard at least one Corinth pastor say to you, we're gonna let you down. Just prepare for it, harden like your soul against this. We're gonna let you down, we're not perfect. Um, this is true of every person you can meet who might be a model for you to imitate. It doesn't make them a bad model. Stick with them, humans are humans. You will still learn something. And the second more terrifying um, warning that I will give you, aside from people not being perfect, is just as you are going to be imitating somebody or something, somebody is imitating you. It could be your kids, your grandkids, your spouse, your colleagues, your employees, your neighbors. It could be somebody who runs into you at the Bojangles and sees the way you have thrown your chicken back across the counter. Somebody is imitating you. Um, and if that makes you nervous, that should make you nervous. That is the thing that I probably worry most about in my professional life is, oh my word, people are looking at me. Uh, back in seminary, I heard the phrase, you know, be prepared, you're going into ministry and ministers live in glass houses. I did not know what that meant until I got into ministry. And then I went, oh my word, I live in a glass house. They're all watching me every day. This is crazy. But the same is true of you. When you go out into the world um, as Christians bearing the mark of Christ, you are people um, who are serving as a model for somebody. So I would apply to you the same criteria um, in terms of being an, a model for somebody to imitate as what I would ask you to look at uh, when you look for people to imitate, which is, um, are you somebody who is being a faithful servant of Christ? And are you somebody who is being a good steward of the gifts that God has given you? Are you a person who is very obviously, by the way you live, relying on God's power rather than your power? Um, are you engaging with people um, in that parental way that is nurturing and loving, not a disciplinarian, authoritarian way? Um, we're probably not doing it perfectly. Not any of us is, um, but that is the good news of the gospel, that there is grace enough even for us when we don't do this perfectly. And if you want to know the rest of the message, you need to come back at 11. Let's pray for you. 
Lord, we thank you that you have given us models that we can follow. We thank you that even um, our best models are imperfect because it just reminds us again and again and again how much every person uh, needs you and how much we need to follow you. Um, we thank you for um, the good models, though, and we pray that you would help us to be good reflections, that we would live by your power and not by our own strength. Um, and we pray that as we look for people to imitate, you would make it clear to us who we can follow um, as we seek to grow closer to you, and that you would use us to be vessels to bring other people along in that process. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.